Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Central, good to see y'all. Y'all look wonderful. Feel like it's been a while. And uh, just to reintroduce myself, my name's Troy Maxwell. My wife and I are the senior pastors here. But I also want to give it up for your campus pastors, Pastor Stephanie, Pastor Aaron. They are the best in the world. Amazing. If you're nice to them, they might take you out to lunch today. Just saying. They got plenty of money. So anyway. Also want to welcome all of our live streamers, New York, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, Florida, California, I almost said Virginia Tech. Vermont. I didn't even go to Virginia Tech. South Carolina, New Jersey, Georgia, Ohio, and Hawaii. Let's give it up for all of our live streamers. So glad that you decided to join us. My wife is speaking at our Lake Norman campus, and Pastor Olin is at our South End campus. So no matter where you live in Charlotte, you can always connect at a campus near you. You can invite a friend to come to church because we have live, live communicators at every one of our campuses and uh, I'm excited to be with you today and continuing the series, actually finishing up the series this weekend on emotions. I'm glad I get to talk about emotions. My wife says I don't have many, and so I'm excited to actually get to talk. I've been working on them, you know. I've been in counseling. I've been taking my medication and everything like that. So it's really been helping me a lot. My wife has told me that I've gotten better, um, gotten a little bit better. How many of y'all believe that God has emotions? Raise your hand if you think God has emotions. I mean, we read it in the Bible, don't we? I mean, he has, he has jeal, he's jealous, uh, he gets angry, um, he gets hurt, um, he, he, his, his mind gets changed in situations, but you know, God doesn't experience emotions like you and I do, because he doesn't have a body. It's interesting, isn't it? He's a spirit. So why would he even talk about emotions biblically if he didn't have them like you and I? Well, because he cares about our emotions. Here's how I define emotions. I define emotions are something happens externally 
We process it internally, that's our emotions, and then we handle it externally. In other words, your emotions are going to basically show who you are, what's going on on the inside of you. And God cares about what's going on on the inside of you. Real change, this is what, what I believe is God's operation in our life. Real change only occurs from the inside out. So 3 John 2 says something really cool about what goes on inside of us. It says, beloved, I pray that you may prosper. Everybody say prosper. In all things. Everybody say in all things. Now, now I believe in a prosperity gospel. That may shock you. Might be a little controversial, but I believe that. I believe that that you are to be prosperous, that God called you to be prosperous. God, God called you to have things. I know we think about prosperity, we immediately go to money, we talk about, think about houses, cars, all that stuff. But what he's talking about is really just being blessed in every part of your life. And, and I, I believe God wants you to be wealthy. He really does. Just make sure that your prosperity has a purpose. And that's the key to it, you know, because prosperity alone will make you greedy, will make you in, insufficient in yourself, selfish, but prosperity, God always prospers us with a purpose. So if you're going to drive a Mercedes, give like you drive one. If you're going to drive a Bentley, give like you drive a Bentley. Come on, somebody. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to drive a Bentley. Look at your other neighbor and say, I want to give like I drive a Bentley. Amen. Now, here's what he says. <laughs> we may not use this, this one on YouTube. All right. <laughs> I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Notice what he says. He says, prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, here's what's interesting. In 1 Thessalonians 5, God tells us the makeup of who we are. Listen to what he says, and I want to explain this. And some of you have seen this before, but I'm going to take it to an H&L, a whole nother level. Okay, now may, God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So understand that God wants to prosper you, but only as your soul prospers. In other words, your prosperity, blessing, the life you live is contingent upon the growth of your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Anything outside of that causes damage. So God holds us within the prosperity of our soul, which is a part of who we are. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me, let me explain this to you. Sam, could you come up here? I know you like to take notes, but I, can you take, come up here just real quick? Aaron, can you come up here? And Matt, can you come up here real quick? I wanna use you guys as an example. Um, if you guys give them a hand, aren't they just a handsome group of people? Just stand right here. Aaron, you stand right here. Sam, you stand right here in the middle. And then Matt, you stand right here. Okay, so here's what the Bible is telling us, okay? You, you are a spirit. Matt's the spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. Now, the Bible calls your body carnal or fleshy, okay? Your body. So, now go over there, Matt. Just go stand over there on the side. Before you're a Christian, can you guys join hands? Before, it's not awkward. It's okay. You're, you're confident. Make, make men men again. All right, here we go. Grab hands. Before you're a Christian... Your spirit is unregenerate. It's not involved in your life before you're a Christian. And in essence, your soul is controlled by your flesh. So this relationship 
is basically determined by your flesh, which is a bully, by the way. Your flesh is a bully. Galatians 5 tells us that we have lusts of the flesh that control our soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. In other words, your decisions, your emotions can easily be controlled by your flesh. And he gives a list. He gives a long list in Galatians 5 of all the lusts of the flesh. However, come on back over here, spirit. When you become a Christian, join hands, stay connected. This is what happens. You, you, your spirit gets born again. You get saved. Now your spirit is alive. But there's still this wrestling match between your soul and between the soul and your flesh and your spirit. So there's this tug of war that's happening between us. Your flesh is trying to control, wants to be happy, wants to do what it feels good. I'm hungry, let's eat. I'm sleepy, let's sleep. I, I want to go have sex, let's go have sex. I want to date her, I'll just date her. I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. And your soul is in this tug of war. And your spirit man, who's now born again, is desiring to control your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, the Bible tells us not only do we have lusts of the flesh, but we also have the fruit of the spirit. Now, when we discipline our spirit, it's called spiritual disciplines. The result of praying, reading your Bible, spending time in church, serving, giving, all of those spiritual disciplines create a soul makeup, mind, will, and emotions that help you lead a life full of the spirit as opposed to the flesh. Are you following me? So what we want to do is we want to cut this tie as much as we can. Now, here's the problem. You can't cast the flesh out. Okay, it's not until you get to heaven you're going to get a new body. Okay, but you're not, you don't have that yet. Wouldn't it be great if you just got a new body as soon as you became a Christian? You lost 15 pounds. You could eat carbs. I mean, all that stuff. It'd be great. That'd be awesome. But that's not what the way it works. So you, the only way that you can develop the fruit of the Spirit is with spirit, spiritual disciplines in your life, okay? Give them a hand. Didn't they do a good job? Thank you so much. Now, spiritual disciplines develop self-control. What I want to talk about is managing your emotions. Biblical management is called self-control. Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says, a person without self-control is like a house with its doors and windows knocked out. In other words, that house has zero protection, zero control. It's defenseless. It's protectionless. It's completely open and vulnerable. Now, if you notice, the Bible tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Now, self-control is very important, especially when it comes to our emotions. We are to manage our emotions. Let me say it this way. It's never someone else's responsibility to manage your emotions. Now, this is really important in the, in the kind of the culture that we live in right now. Because our culture would tell us, you can blame everybody but yourself. As Christians, we can't do that. You have to take, your, you have to take responsibility. Well, well, you don't know what they did to me, Pastor Troy. You don't know how they treated me doesn't matter. They're your emotions. It's your soul. Because I can promise you when you get to heaven, 
God's not going to go, hey, could you invite those people over there that you blame because we really need to take it out on them, not you. They're not going to be judged for your emotional outbursts, for your lack of self-control, for your lack of the fruit of the Spirit. You're, they're not going to be blamed for that. They're not going to, matter of fact, they're not even going to be there. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to be in heaven. I'm, not, I'm talking about they're not going to be at the judgment seat with you. And you're going to be judged, okay? You're going to be judged not, not on your sin because your sin has been washed away by Jesus. You're not going to be judged whether you're going to heaven or not. You're going to be judged with what you did with Jesus. And so if you blame everybody else, your deficit in living for Jesus is not a good excuse. Blame is the highest form of irresponsibility. It's really easy to blame. I can blame everybody for everything. They made me mad. They made me angry. They made me poor. They made me, you know, overweight. No, they didn't. Nobody did. No, 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 you cannot. So here's a couple thoughts about emotions that I think are important. Emotions, and these aren't on the screen. These are just freebies, okay? Emotions are the root that bears the fruit to sin in our lives. Let me say that again. Emotions are the root that bears the fruit to sin our lives. Remember, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. We're just talking about a third of your soul because you have a mind and will power too, okay? But your emotions are a very important part of that soul. Now, my wife and I, two different ways to express kind of our emotions. So I grew up in a family that stuffed everything. So we didn't talk about stuff. Somebody messed up in the family. We don't talk about Uncle Joe. You don't bring him up. So in essence, as life went on, I stuffed my emotions. Now that's very dangerous. Now I'm talking about extreme, okay? So you just never deal with your emotions. And men, we think that that's masculine, is to never have an emotional response. That's not masculine. All right, basically, I'm not, now, we're gonna talk about the other side of the table in just a second. But me, I grew up that way. So you can, the dynamic between my wife and I was, I grew up stuffing it, and her family grew up just way over the top emotional. So whoever yelled the loudest won the war. Like they were the ones who, when you got in a fight in, in the Penny's house, it was whoever yelled the loudest won. Can now imagine the dynamic of that marriage when you put those two extremes together. First couple years of our marriage, woo, we were jacked up, y'all. She'd be yelling, I'm hiding. You know, she's, I'm like, no, I don't wanna talk about that. I don't wanna talk about that. I don't wanna talk about that. Or I just shut down. And she'd be like, well, we're gonna talk about it. And we're gonna talk about it right now. And this is how we're gonna handle it. And she's like going after me. I'm like, no, no, and I'm hiding. Ah, help me, mama. You know, that's the biggest... That's the way it was. A root is what the Bible calls a stronghold. When I talk about roots, I'm talking about a stronghold. So, if you don't deal or if you mismanage your emotions, it's easy to develop a root that will display itself in a fruit. So, those of you that stuff it develop addictions. Because what you think you're in control of, you're really not. 
So an outlet for that stuffing is to have an, be addicted to something. Those of you that, you know, that are shout-its, okay, stuff-its or shout-its, that's what I call them. Stuff-its or shout-its. How many shout-its do I have in the room? Come on, be honest. Yeah. Don't start yelling at me right now because I called you out. How many of y'all think you're stuff-its? Raise your hand. How many of y'all are just glad to wake up today? Raise your hand. You're glad you made it to church today. All right. <laughs> So if you tend towards a direction, you're going to develop a root. Now, the Bible calls that a stronghold. Now, here's what the Bible says about strongholds. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, that word stronghold is, in the Greek, it means a fortress, a prison. Now, here's what's interesting about a fortress. A fortress doesn't just keep people in, it also keeps people out. So when I develop a stronghold, what I'm doing is I'm developing a fortress that not only am I keeping things in, but I'm also keeping things from getting in. Does that make sense? So when I stuff it or I shout it, I'm developing this stronghold. I like to look at a stronghold as like this, like you're trying to close a door and the devil sticks his foot right in the door and keeps just a little crack in there. That's that root that we have to deal with. How do we deal with it? The fruit of the Spirit. He gives us an answer. We gotta develop our spiritual life. You can't expect to dig a root up by not developing disciplines. So prayer, reading your Bible, spending time with God, worshiping, all of those are spiritual disciplines in order to develop a root of spiritual things and not fleshly things. So that's why we talk about reading your Bible every day. What do you mean I need to read my Bible every day? Well, I don't need my Bible today. Yes, you do. You say, well, everything's going really good. Okay, but that's great time to let those roots of self-control and goodness and love and long-suffering to get down deep, deep, deep in your spirit so that when your flesh goes, hey, let's do this, you go, not going to happen. Your mind, your will, and your emotions are able to take, take, take over from the spiritual side, not the fleshly side. Does that make sense? Secondly, emotions are the result of life. Life is never supposed to be the result of your emotions. Okay, emotions are the result of life. Life is never supposed to be the result of your emotions. They are meant to reveal, not deal. Your emotions are meant to reveal things to you. Here's another thought. You can just write this down. Emotions are barometers. A barometer... um, Uh, atmospherically measures the pressure in the air to determine the weather. Now, I don't know all, I'm not a, you know, a meteorologist, but, and I don't know, you know, high pressure, low pressure, I don't know any of that stuff. But I do know that when they talk about a barometer, when you see a barometer, you can determine what the weather's gonna be based on on the pressure. It is a, your emotions basically are giving you an inside look of what's going on based on the pressures externally. So you're, you're finding out based on how you're responding, what's going on in your spirit? What's happening inside of your soul? What's going on? That's why Paul said, I, I gotta do this daily. Like, I gotta work this out on a daily basis. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I would say that Paul was a pretty spiritual guy. Okay, however, he talked about, I, I, I do what I don't wanna do. I don't do what I wanna do. I mean, I keep going back and forth. And this guy was super spiritual. So he knew that he, his emotions could help him understand what was going on. Another barometer would be the Dow Jones. 
Okay, so Dow Jones is a barometer of the stock market. The S&P 500, a barometer of the NASDAQ. These are all barometers that kind of give you a picture of what's going on overall on the inside. That's where your emotions are for. They're not bad. Your emotions are not bad. You can see a lot about what's going on inside of you by what you what you're experiencing emotionally. I want to give you three, just in close, I want to give you three mismanaged emotions. These are what I feel like are the three most mismanaged. Now that we understand the concept of what emotions are and how they affect our lives and why we have them and God's interested in them and he wants to help us heal them and, and maybe learn how to not shout it or stuff it. Now let's talk about the three ones that I think are the most mismanaged. The first is anger. Anger is, in my opinion, probably the number one most mismanaged emotion because the Bible says you can be angry and that can be a little confusing because now you got to determine to what level can I be angry because you know thou shalt not murder amen 10 commandments still work today just want to make that clear right we still believe in the top 10 right I know you want to kill them but you can't God said it and you'll go to jail for a long time there's nothing wrong with being angry. But remember, if I don't get a hold of my anger, it can develop a root, a stronghold. That now anger or the expression of it in, as an emotion can create a fortress that, that's holding me away from people and holding people away from me. So when anger comes, the barometer is reading unresolved. That's what your barometer is reading. Because anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. It's a result of something that's unresolved in you. There's something going on inside of you. You ain't dealt with it yet. And so you explode. You get defensive real quick. Somebody says something to you. I'm not to be to that. You just get real defensive about it. You have an emotional response to it. Or you start yelling at them. Or like on the highway, somebody pulls out in front of you. I have a friend. No joke. He's a pastor too. Hope he's not watching. When he gets in the car, it's like he get demons possessed. I'm not joking. I, I'm not, I mean, he gets in the car and it's like his head spins around a few times. I'm going to drive. And then, you know, it's, it's bad. It's like really bad. And he just goes nuts on people and he's driving crazy and he's telling everybody they're number one. And I mean, it's just, you'll figure that out later, what I'm talking about. I'm not this. I'm not going to give you the demonstration, even though this one's not going to be on YouTube. But so, so he gets really angry, angry. And I've never really said anything to him about it because, you know, I, I, but I notice it and everybody else notices it. And he, and, and honestly, he'll go, man, why do I get so mad when I get in the car? Well, you got, you, there's a stronghold there. Something's going, something is unresolved in you. Now, here's what I know about ladies. Okay, I've been married to one for 29 years. Ladies, Y'all have the ability, this is one thing that you have the ability to do. This is what makes you so wonderful and amazing and fantastic. You never forget anything. You don't. If we don't resolve, men, I'm gonna give you a little hint, okay? If you're married, wanna get married, you know, and, and ladies, you have to resolve, men, you have to resolve what's in them or you will see it over and over again. You'll never fight. You, you think you're fighting about one thing when really you're fighting about something that happened 10 years ago that was never resolved. It's the truth. 
My wife's the same way. We'll start fighting about something, and then she'll, intense fellowship, we call it intense fellowship. We'll, we'll start, get, we'll get to have intense fellowship about something. And after about five minutes or so, the real issue will come out. Like, fast. And I'm like, well, I thought we resolved that. We didn't resolve that. <laughs> and she knows exactly the clothes that I had on when it was unresolved. You can, ladies are amazing. Now, why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Because, because women, God designed them to, to be receivers. That's the, they, they were designed that way. Whatever you put in a woman, they're going to grow it. So that's, that's how God designed them. That's what's so magnificent about you ladies, is that God put, made you that whatever seed is planted in you, you'll grow it. So if it's unresolved, guess what's happening? You'll grow it. So how, how do you deal with that, man? You plant good seeds. So you're married, you better plant some good seeds in that lady. Because those bad seeds, you're going to see some briars and plants and weeds and stuff coming out. Because whatever you plant is going to grow in her. Anger is a secondary emotion that's unresolved. So here's how God tells us to deal with anger. Is this okay? Y'all learn anything? Okay. Ephesians 4.26. It says, be angry. And then he gives us the parameters on how we can be angry. Here's the first one. Be angry. Don't sin. So it's okay to be angry. So what's my limit? Don't sin. Well, what does that mean? I think that's relative to the situation you're dealing with. Sin is sin. You, you define it. If you're hurting somebody, that's sin. If you're hurting yourself, that's sin. So you gotta, be, you gotta know, I can be angry to the point where I am not displaying something that's causing me to miss the mark in the purpose that God has put me on this planet for. That's what sin is. Then he says, here's another parameter. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So if you're gonna be angry, get it all out in the name of Jesus. So ladies, when you, if something's unresolved, don't say nothing's wrong. And, and even if it, the, the, the moment is tense and you can't talk about it right now, say, hey, let's take a break. You go to that side of the house. I'll go to this side of the house. We'll pray and we'll come back together in 15 minutes. And then we'll come back together. Because you know what happens when you go to the other side of the house. Lord, talk to him. He needs to get delivered, God. There's no, I know there's nothing wrong with me. I'm holy. I'm spiritual. I know you love me. You're on my side, God. I feel the angels of the Lord all around me, surrounding me right now. That's right. But that's, that's how you pray, because that's how I pray. We all pray. Let me tell you, the guys on the other side, God, please help that woman to understand. She is wrong, dead wrong. It just gives you a break to kind of get things, and then come back together. Then you can resolve the issue, because anything unresolved will create anger. Anger in the relationship, a stronghold. Then he says, don't, give, don't, don't let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Interesting. So notice the progression. Don't sin. Resolve it. But here's the kicker. Don't give place. The word place is the Greek word topos. And it's where we get the word like topography from. In other words, don't give the devil geographic. Don't give him topos. Don't give him a place in your life. Because if you sin or don't, 
let it get resolved, then what you're doing is you're giving God, you're giving the devil geography in your marriage. You're giving the devil geography in your life, the geography in your job, geography. Are you following me? And you don't want him to have any property investment in your life at all. You want him completely gone out of your life, okay? So don't sin, resolve the issue, deal with the enemy. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, good sense makes a man restrain his anger and it is glory to overlook a transgression or an offense. The best way to handle it is to restrain your anger. Sometimes you just gotta overlook some stuff. Just let it go. It's not that big a deal, honestly. Just, just, is this a heaven issue? Or is it an issue with them? I'll see you in heaven. Might not see you anymore here on earth, but I'll see you in heaven. You deal with your stuff, I'll deal with my stuff. Second most mismanaged emotion is empathy. This is what I wanted to talk about today because empathy has been weaponized over the last five or seven years. And it came as a result of a video that was done by a young lady by the name of Brene Brown. You may have heard of Brene Brown. She did a video, got like 25, 30 million views because she talked about what, what I call cultural empathy is, okay? What cultural empathy is, is, and this is how she described it. She said, Cultural empathy is all about connecting with people. Empathy is all about connecting. I want to connect with you. I want to connect with you. Here's how I'm going to connect with you. You have a perspective, and your perspective is truth, and I have to believe it. Dangerous. Secondly, says she said, you can't, I can't judge you. So whatever your perspective is, whatever your experienced truth is, I can't judge you. So no matter what you've been through, I can't judge you. I can't say anything to you about it because it's your truth. Now you realize that that's not biblical. Because what if your truth misaligns with the Bible? If I can't judge you, now we're in a position where we're struggling. Especially if I have a biblical worldview and yours is a little shaky based on your experience. The world would say, it doesn't matter, Troy. You're a Christian, love your neighbor. You need to empathize with them. Okay, so it also says believe all victims. All victims are right. Anybody that's a victim. Let me just say this. I'll say, it, I'll say it firmly. Victims, living as a victim is not godly. It's not godly. God never created you to live a victim. If he created you to leave a victim, he would have left Israel in Egypt. Are you following me? So if you're identifying as a victim, it's not godly. And so, so what she says is all victims are right. They're all right. And then lastly, she said, the marginalized are always correct. The sole purpose of cultural empathy is connection. Now, here's what's so awesome about God. This is what I love about God. I was reading this this morning, just kind of getting ready for this. I just, I just thought more and more of this verse, especially because I'm also reading through the book of John and John 1, I just love John 1. It says, for we do not have, this is Hebrews 4. It says, for we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Let me shock you. The word empathy is not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Compassion is, because that's what this word is, really. Compassion, mercy is, forgiveness is, but empathy's not. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, if you read the NIV, the nearly inspired version, it does say empathy. But that's not the Greek word. It actually means compassion. So let me ask you a question. Okay. Does God have compassion? 
yes and no. Okay, now let's, let's talk about this for a second. Because in order to understand empathy, cultural empathy says it's all about connection. But God, God's connection is I'm gonna connect with you, but I'm not gonna leave you the same. Cultural empathy says you can stay like you are. I'm gonna tolerate you just like you are. And I'm not allowed to correct you. I'm not allowed to say anything to you about your life. Okay, so does God have compassion? Yes and no. Let me prove it to you. And I'm gonna go Old Testament and New Testament for the theologians in the room. Okay, because often we can say, oh, God doesn't have compassion in the Old Testament because that's the Old Testament God. By the way, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he didn't change, okay? So Genesis chapter, I'll just give you one example, Old Testament, and a couple examples, New Testament. Old Testament, Genesis chapter 19. You know the story. God is having a conversation with Abraham about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18, he talk, he's talking, God's talking. He goes, hey, should we talk to Abraham about what we're about to do? And so, so he says, yeah, we probably should. And so he says to Abraham, hey, I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that compassionate? No. He's gonna destroy them. He has this conversation with Abraham. Abraham says, hey, whoa, 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 time out. What if there's 50 people in there? Would you still destroy it? God says, well, I'd probably rescue the 50. What about 45? What about 40? What about 35? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? So then God says, hey, why don't we go tell Lot? Because he's related to Abraham. So God sends angels into Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a crazy story. Read it. It's crazy what happens. These angels show up. They basically tell Lot, you need to leave because I'm going to rain down Fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that compassionate? Absolutely. Because he told Lot, get out of there. That's compassionate. Would you agree? I'm gonna blow this place up. You better get out. That's compassionate. But you know what happens to Lot, right? He leaves. What does God say to his wife? Don't look back. Compassionate. Yes. What does she do? What happens to her? Is that compassionate? No. She's dead, y'all. So, so you follow what I'm saying? We can get caught up in that God's so compassionate and compassionate that we leave out the correction side of it. That we leave out the side that God wants to change us. Don't look back. You better get out of Dodge. I'm gonna blow this place up. Okay, let's move it to, to, to uh uh, New Testament, Jesus is, and I'll just use one example. Jesus is having a conversation with this guy who comes to him. The Bible calls him a rich young ruler. Says to him, hey, listen, how, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get into heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? Now, this guy really has a misunderstanding of what inheritance is because if he really knew inheritance, he would realize that it has nothing with what you do. It's who you are. Inheritance is based on not anything that you do. But Jesus says, you do these commandments. And he gives him the second page of the Ten Commandments, which involve relational here. He says, you need to do this, you need to do this, and it's all about this relationship, not this relationship, but this relationship, because Jesus knows that this guy has problems with people. And so, so he goes, I've all done all those. Is this compassionate? Absolutely. But then Jesus says to him, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Whoa, hold on a second. I got a lot. 
sell everything, give it to the poor. What does Jesus do when he says no? He walks away from him. Is that compassionate? Nope. Now he gave him the compassionate part of it, sell everything and follow me. Sell everything and give it all, give it all away and follow me. Pretty good deal. Now, cultural empathy would say, whoa, whoa, wait, don't walk away. How about we just settle for half? Well, 50% is too much. Well, hold on, look, how about just 10%? Just give me 10%. That's what cultural empathy would say, is I don't, I don't wanna lose connection for the sake of justice. Compassion always is paired with justice. Just read the Bible. It's simple. When you look at Jesus, you say, well, he was compassionate, but there was always justice involved. I have compassion on these people. They are like sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering. They need somebody to come and take their rod out and get them back in the pen where they're supposed to be. That's justice. You following me? That's, that's, we gotta be careful that we don't mismanage empathy. This whole stuff about love your neighbor as yourself as a weaponized statement of culture, dangerous, dangerous. Well, Jesus would wear a mask. No, he wouldn't. I mean, don't get mad if you, I'm not anti-mask, anything, but Jesus would not wear a mask. I know that's shocking to you. If he wore a mask, why would he even pray for lepers? He would never have touched the woman with the issue of blood because she was considered unclean by the law. Kind of messes with you a little bit, doesn't it? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't or you should tell people or whatever. I'm just saying that we gotta be careful that we don't allow culture to define our values. Our values come from the Bible. The last one is managing guilt. Managing guilt. Nothing erodes at our soul more than guilt. David said it this way in Psalms 38, and I'm almost done. My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. Guilt is a wrongness of doing. Guilt manifests itself in regret, remorse, shame. Matter of fact, if we don't deal with guilt, it will always turn into shame. Guilt is, I did something wrong. Shame is, I am wrong. I'm a failure. The barometer's reading, I missed it, I messed up. I'm a failure. And the reason why it's dangerous is because guilt that turns into shame erodes at our value, our worth. And when we mismanage that emotion, and, and guilt is an emotion, shame is an emotion. But if we mismanage it, it erodes at the, at the value of who you are. It erodes at my worth. Now, ladies, let me tell you something about men. This is probably the biggest area that men struggle with. I'm generalizing here. I'm not saying every man does. But most men struggle with this because our nature is to do. Our value comes from what we do, our action. And if we miss it and we don't deal with the guilt associated with missing it, we become full of shame. And we question our worth as men. We question who we are. And the, and the enemy continues to whisper in our ear that you'll never amount to anything. Just be more successful. 
You'll, you'll, never, you'll never get past this failure. Just buy a bigger house. And it becomes all about our worth. In Romans 3, it says, yes, all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty. See, freedom from guilt comes in the same package as freedom from sin. It all is in the same package. And men, this is something we have to learn, that when we ask God to forgive us with all sincerity, godly sorrow produces repentance. When we truly come to God and say, I am sorry. We're not thinking about, am I going to do it again? We're thinking about the freedom that washes over us because of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. If I continue to live in that failure, shame will eat me up. I've been preaching now for probably, I don't know, maybe 28 years, something like that. Why don't you stand up with me if you could? 28 years I've been preaching. Never, never fails, never fails. I I put a lot of energy and effort in preparing for a message. I pray, spend time with God, study. Never fails. When I'm standing over there getting ready to walk up, the devil whispers in my ear, who are you to think that you can share the gospel? Who are you? And he starts to list all the stuff that I did. Maybe that week, the words that I said to my wife or the things I should have said that I didn't say or the sins that I committed 10 years ago, five years ago, a year ago. I fight it, man. It's tough. It's a challenge. But I walk up here every single time trusting God that the same, the same freedom that I asked for when I repented of those sins is available and I walk in that freedom or else I would never come up on this platform. I would never do that. Now, now I don't know what shame is holding you back. I don't know, but I know there's some probably in there. And today I wanna pray for you men. I wanna pray that God removes all of that shame. So we're gonna go old school today. I'm gonna invite you to come to the altar. Now here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna tell you right now what's gonna happen, especially if you deal with shame. Is the enemy's gonna say, if you go up there, you'll never be a leader in that church. Everybody's gonna look at you. They're gonna wonder what you did or what you didn't do. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna say, that's, ex- that's exactly what will hold you back from getting free. So I, I wanna pray for you today specifically. I've been doing this at all of our campuses and men are getting set free. They're, they're receiving their worth from God. I wanna pray for you today. I'm gonna count to three. When I get to three, if you're a man, you're dealing with shame, I want you to get out of your seat and come to this altar. I wanna pray for you. Ready? One, two, three. Just get out of your seat and come. Come on, church, give them a big hand as they come. Ladies, you should clap for these men as they step out of their seats and come. Come on, give them a big hand. Give them a big hand. Isn't it incredible? This is how we raise the standard in our community is when men are able to walk out the God-given call that's on. I'm proud of you, man. I'm proud of you. Proud of you. Proud of you. Super proud of you, bro. 
Proud of you. Proud of you, man. Proud of you. Proud of you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, keep clapping for him. There's a couple more. Keep clapping. Come on, keep clapping. Keep clapping. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's a good God. Look, we've all made mistakes. I just read a scripture. We all fall short. We all, we all miss it. But you don't have to live as a failure. The word of the Lord for you today is shame off you. Shame off you. Shame off you. Today, shame is going to rid itself of you. Just put your hand on your heart, every one of you that answered this altar call today. Just put your hand on you. Stretch your hands out to them, church. Just believe God for them. Father, thank you so much for every man. God, I'm, I'm so grateful for their honesty. I'm so grateful for, for who they are and God, what they represent, not just in this church, but in this nation. And Father, I thank you that, that you are removing shame off of them, that the power of the forgiveness of the cross of Jesus Christ is washing over each one of them right now. If you need to repent, just right now, in your own words, just repent. God, I'm sorry, I messed up, I missed it. I didn't do this, I did this, and I shouldn't have. Just let it go. Leave all of that at the altar and go back the man that God called you to be, the leader that God's called you to be, the father that God's called you to be, the husband that God's called you to be. Shame off you in the name of Jesus. I take authority over guilt. I take authority over shame. I take authority over every bit of that remorse and regret, Lord, and I command it right now to be lifted off of them in Jesus' name, lifted off of us as men. And God, I pray that you would raise up Isaiah's and, and Jeremiah's, Father, and, and Daniel's, and, and Father, folks that would step up, Peter's, God. And, and Father, thank you for what you're doing in their hearts, what you're doing in this house today, God. You're watching online, and you're dealing with shame right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. I take authority over that spirit of shame. I command it to lift off of them right now. And Jesus, shame off you. Now just, everybody, just lift your hands up to heaven. And just receive the power. Come on, men, just lift your hands up. Father, thank you, thank you. God, I, I pray for release. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for shame being released off of them. God, I thank you for the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit to fill each one of them. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Come on, give him another hand. You stay right here just for a second, guys. Just hang right here just for a second. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.